delighted to be here at Burton Albion for NTT20 meets Nigel Clough. Nigel, thank you very much for having me down today. That's a pleasure, Ali. Uh, you are the current manager of Burton Albion and Nigel, like many of our previous guests, had a brilliant playing career, mostly in the top flight, which is obviously not our area of interest or expertise, but at Nottingham Forest, Liverpool and Manchester City, notably 14 England caps as well. A genuine lifetime in the game, uh, of course, growing up with a football manager for a father as well. So we've got so much that we want to talk to you about, and I guess we could be here all day, but we'd like to focus mainly on your managerial career. Uh, and so far, three clubs on the list, uh, Burton twice, Derby County and Sheffield United. One thing we ask everyone, because I just think it's quite an interesting thing to hear a manager talk about, especially one who's had a playing career, how would you now, as a manager, describe yourself as a player? What sort of player were you for those who, who maybe weren't around to watch you? Probably one that I wouldn't want if, as a manager now. <laughs> really? 14 yeah. England caps? Yeah, in, in some ways. No, in some ways. I think the game's changed uh, quite a lot in the last 20 years. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I would hope all the team, other teammates wanted you around in the team as a player, most importantly. Uh, if you could help them get three points on a Saturday. That's all that mattered. What were your main skills on the pitch? Uh, getting hold of the ball, controlling it and passing it to a teammate. Uh, making goals, scoring the odd one, uh, but trying to make goals uh, as much as anything. And trying to get them the most from other teammates uh, you know, around around me. And uh, I had great relationships on the pitch with certain players, you know, Neil Webb and Steve Hodge and uh, Stuart Pearce and Des Walker and people like that. Uh, and we were... We were a pretty good team for a few years at Forest. Who was the manager of England when you earned your England caps? Bobby Robson was the first one. Wow. Uh, and then uh, Graham Taylor took over uh, after that. So it was over those two periods. And any of the managers at club level that you were managed by who you would say really stood out in terms of how you've shaped yourself as a manager? Every one of them. Every one of them you take something from and you learn something from. Good or bad, but generally it's good. Uh, but you know, I've been played for. Obviously, people will talk about my father, and that was the longest stint for nine years. Uh, but not just that, but being around things before then uh, is bound to have uh, an influence and a major influence. Uh, but then going to play for Graham Souness at Liverpool, and and then Roy Evans and Alan Ball at Manchester City, uh, they all have uh, huge qualities and influences on you. It's really interesting in previous episodes to hear about people's transition from a, a playing career into a coaching and, and managerial career and each is unique yours especially so I would say especially given the level that you spent the majority of your playing career playing at uh, your transition from playing to management wasn't much of a transition because you sort of hammered the two together I know you didn't play that much towards the last few years but my stat is you became a manager in 1998 in the Dr. Martin Southern League uh, and your last match was in that you played was in 2008, 10 years later. Yeah, that could be correct, yes. yeah, <laughs> I was actually still playing for the reserves uh, in that uh, final year or so before we went to Derby uh, and it was by far the highlight of the week. Really? And if anybody will tell you who's been fortunate enough to play football that once you stop playing, uh, everything you do from then on isn't as enjoyable. Uh, and certainly managing fits into that category uh, so 
I used to sneak the odd game with the reserves and, and just play at fullback when I was uh, 40 odd years old and uh, but enjoyed every single minute of it didn't enjoy the next two or three days <laughs> uh, did you did you I know that you're going to be modest and not want to talk about this but just humor me did you really stand out having had the quality that you had technical quality having played at the highest level when you played in the Doc Martens Southern League you know those first yep. few years do, no, did tough. you feel unbossing this no no it's tough Sometimes the, the lower you go, the harder it gets. The players around you aren't uh, obviously at the same standard as, as you've been used to. And also the players you're playing against, it might sound silly, but they don't do the things that you would expect them to do that the top players do. <laughs> yeah. And that makes it more difficult, in, honestly, in lots of ways. I remember playing uh, one of the... I didn't start playing initially for the first few months, uh, two or three months, I think. And then uh, I remember my dad saying to me after uh, literally a few weeks of starting playing again, he said, you are going to change, aren't you? That was it. And that was all he had to say. He said, you, you know you're going to have to change the way you play. Right. And that was it. And you do. You have to adapt to whatever level you're playing at and to the players around you and the players you're playing against. But you also got the job as, as manager of Burton. Uh, how did that come about? Were you set from forever that you were going to be a manager and you needed to crack on with that? Not in the slightest, honestly. I hadn't really given it too much thought uh, other than I stopped playing, uh, finished at Manchester City. I don't know, I was 32, 33. And... There was uh, only two jobs available at that particular time. There was one in professional football, in professional football, and it was Leeds. And I thought, there's no much, not much chance again right, <laughs> of getting yeah. that with the family history. Uh, and then uh, we've lived in Derby for the vast majority of our lives. And uh, about 20 minutes down the road, there was this smallish club called Burton Albion, and that became available. And I just thought, just had our, our first child. I'll tell you what. Uh, why not start there? Uh, and my dad was always very keen on learning your trade. He used to say, "Learn your trade," uh, and it's a different trade managing to playing, completely different. Clearly, now you're managing Burton in League One. You had two seasons in the Championship. The rise of the club has been spectacular, and something that we're, we're going to talk about mm -hmm. in depth later. But when you were learning your trade in those first few years, the nature of non-league football. Were there things that were really important, you know, priorities for you or the most important parts of that job that now that you're five tiers above, you, you, you sort of take for granted because you've got more staff? Or I remember reading that the geography of the division you played in yeah. was crucial. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, we were playing Dorchester, Weymouth and teams like that. And of course, people assume, oh, well, it's top flight now. They just fly, fly everywhere. Uh, at the very least they'll go the day before but there was none of that you were no overnight stays so if you played Dorchester on a Tuesday night you would leave whenever you could mid-afternoon whenever lads finish work uh, you would get back at uh, two or three o'clock in the morning and then everybody at work, be at work the next day it's a, you know, a million miles away from the, the top flight of professional football uh, so it's getting used to things like that. So you switched um, from the southern division to the northern division. Yes, yeah, we got there was a there was a bit of an imbalance one year, and because we were the the northernmost team, we got the option to go into Unibond, and we did that, and it made the travelling so much easier. We were Manchester, Liverpool sort of teams, uh, rather than you know trekking all the way down south, and it it uh, it made a, a big difference for us. How did the player manager dynamic work when you were on the pitch? 
did you leave the decision making up to an assistant or or were you running things from did you still play central midfield uh played yeah mainly midfield yes yeah. uh but yeah mainly gary crosby who's, who's been with uh, we've been together all the time so uh, he was doing most of the stuff off the pitch uh, but it's it's pretty tough going doing both playing and managing at any level everyone says that and it is uh, because you, you when you're playing you're so wrapped up in your own performance within the team framework and now you're looking at it from a whole different perspective you know and to come in at half time when you've had a particularly poor 45 minutes maybe and then to start rollicking other players because they haven't been doing it uh, that's a challenge as well uh, and, and no different to any at any level <coughs> you have to do a shift and you, you know you have to justify your place in the team whether you're picking the team or not you still have to justify your place once you change divisions you started to rise up the divisions and cup runs also became a bit of a well there was a very famous cup run at this time against Manchester United in 2006 and cup runs will be a bit of a theme when we look at, at your career throughout every team you've, you've been at essentially. Uh, that run against Manchester United, or sorry, that cup run which led to a game against Manchester United and a replay at Old Trafford, was that... A, a, a massive moment for you in, in your managerial career. It was pivotal for the club, first of all. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was the first big one, we, real big one we had. Uh, I think at Burton, we were in the conference at the time, and we'd actually drawn Peterborough in the first round proper. Can't remember who we had to get through in the fourth round qualifier, and then we got Peterborough. We managed to beat them after a replay. Mark Wright was the manager at the time, and then in the second round we got Bursco at home. So we're playing on the Saturday, and the game got called off for a frozen pitch or waterlogged pitch. So then the draws made on the Sunday and of course <laughs> the winners are oh, home wow. to Manchester United. So we then play on the Tuesday and we've gone from maybe you know a few hundred being into 4,000 odd crowd <laughs> and so much being at stake. It was incredible wow. because you get this tie. We just built a new ground. Like all building project goes a little bit over budget. Uh, so we absolutely desperately needed this. And those three or four days were the most nerve wracking as, as any in football knowing what was at stake if we could get past Bursco. Then actually to get the replay, took it to a different level, yeah. paid off the debt and, and really gave the club the foundation to move on from there. Absolutely amazing. The, the, the line that is used is always, it paid for the stadium and, and it's not yep. really an exaggeration. I mean, it didn't pay for the no. whole stadium, nope. but at that time there must have been concerns that you know the project itself had been a bit over ambitious and, and how were they going to do that? Of course, the timing was crucial in terms of we got good... Um, a good price for the the land and the old stadium uh, housing uh, the housing market was good at the time so we got a maximum price for that but like anything you know you get these budgets in place and they say oh it's going to cost six seven million to build a new ground and it's beautiful but it's pretty basic we only got seats on one side so nobody was going you know luxurious sort of fittings and, and things um, but when we got when we got the replay that just as I say settled everything down it also enabled us to improve on the playing side mm. and we've got a couple of players Daryl Clare we got him in on the back of it he raised the bar for us um, very, and very it really did prolific non-league striker yep yeah people who know the non-league football will remember him uh, we got him in for a season or two and he raised the bar I think we reached the playoffs one year and then we won the or the, Burton won the league the year or so after but uh, he, he, he when you attract players like that then you attract other good players uh, and it was a I think a pivotal moment in in the club's development without a doubt and we still talk about now the scoreboard at the far end there it's, I think it was 59 minutes on it and uh, Manchester United made two substitutions down here and we asked the sort of locals about a quiz question you know and it was Rooney and Ronaldo <laughs> 
2006. I mean, Ronaldo came on. Yeah, Rooney and Ronaldo came on after 59 minutes, and we still managed to hang on for a nil-nil. And the score in the replay was irrelevant. They were always going to, you know, uh, batter us. Um, so two, together, two bottles of wine with with Sir Alex. Well, yeah, we had. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I think we had more after the re- after the, we got the <laughs> nil-nil here. I think we had more. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, also, at this time, there are other recognisable managers that you came up against. Perhaps not at the top level to the same extent as Sir Alex Ferguson, but you may have been aware, or you may not have been aware, a few weeks ago when you played against Accrington Stanley that there was a some some clever historian, non-league historian, tweeted that yourself and John Coleman had come up against each other as managers of Burton and Accrington, I think four tiers below League One level, 19 years ago, almost to the to the month or to the week. Um, can you remember those battles with John back in the day? Do you still discuss that when you see him? We do, and we do remember them. And uh, they were hard, hard games. Like they are now against Accrington, but in the old days when you're you know playing in the Unibond or whatever, uh, yeah, we had some we had some good old battles. And uh, I think that that forms your sort of thing, you know, and it it gives you a good grounding for moving forward. And uh, you know, you you do the hard times there and in the non-league, and it really does give you that base uh, to move on and. John's been there and seen it and done it all, uh, and we do. We have a chat. We had some. We've had some battle seriously and some arguments on the touchline because him, him and Jimmy Bell. Jimmy's quite, uh, yeah, formidable at times and uh, quite aggressive, um, and especially at their place. But there's a, there's a respect there yeah. because we both know where we've come from. And, uh, Quite a lot and of it's hard down there. Between yeah, the yeah. rise of the two teams Definitely. and the way that it's been done, crucially, yep. coming up from non-league, unlike a lot of other teams who have been essentially bankrolled doing things sustainably that's it and uh, very very similar I think we're similar sized clubs I think we're in the lowest sort of two or three uh, average crowds within League One now and both battling to survive in it and uh, but yeah yeah we've uh, I remember John scoring we played a cup game or something at the old ground and John came on and scored the winner in the last minute or something like that Um, he was quite a prolific striker yeah yeah he was yeah and he was just probably coming to the end then but he brought himself off the bench and flicked a header in at the near post and the beat is one nil I think I still remember that <laughs> that's brilliant uh, I also uh, heard a uh, a piece you did with BBC Radio Derby I think it was last year in which you did mention uh, talking of EFL managers who you came up against at that time that you had the odd game against Steve Evans you had the odd bit of a uh, bit of even even in non-league, a bit of uh, mind games or or some some jibes in the press. Yeah, yeah, Crawley, Boston. Uh, Boston was the first one when we came up against him, and they were in the conference. I think we were in the one below, and we drew them in the in the cup, and it was trophy or FA Cup, and managed to get a draw there. And uh, I think he called us a pub team at one stage, and then we uh, we managed to beat them in the replay. Uh, so yeah, we're similar. We've had some battles over the years, uh, but there's a respect there, you know. When we play them now, when we play Gillingham, you know, we'll always shake hands and have a chat. Uh, uh, once again, I think I think that's general amongst managers. You know, I think generally now there is that respect uh, because everybody's got a little bit of sympathy because you know how difficult the job is and you know what the other guy's going through. Yeah. Uh, and I think on the playing side, players will not rub the players' nose in it, but. You know they'll they'll do the best on the pitch, uh, and they're not particularly worried about the opposition. I think when you you know you, there's a lot of sympathy within within the management sort of circle um, for for others who are struggling. The only equivalent I can think of is goalkeepers who yep. often say you know I'll never 
Yeah. I'll never crow about something because I know that it could happen to me. Yeah, there's a go- and there's a goalkeeper's union, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. And it's, it's the same with the managers. You left uh, Burton with a pretty huge lead at the top of the conference in uh, January 2009 to join Derby. Having having been there for ten years, what was your what was the mindset there? You, you must have had inquiries throughout your time as you grew as you grew the club up the leagues, as all managers do. What was it about Derby that that made that the the decision? Uh, not too many over the years, and I, I wasn't sort of proactive in going out and applying for lots of jobs. Uh, there was a possibility of going back to Forest at one stage, and it it didn't quite uh, turn out. And uh, that was when Nigel Doughty was there. Uh, Mark Arthur was the chief exec who we still keep in touch with. And uh, it was all, I think, almost done at one stage. And uh, and then for some reason it changed and I didn't really understand. And I, I saw him last year and uh, or the year before and he, he sort of said he always wanted to explain. He said the reason why it didn't happen. He said in the end, he said Nigel Doughty, who was funded the club and was absolutely incredible what he did for Nottingham Forest, uh, he, he changed his mind because he said, uh, if it doesn't go well, how do I sack a clough? Mm. And that was his thinking why we, why we didn't. But he was one chairman, I think, that we would have worked extremely well with uh, and got on well because he funded it and we would have looked after his money. Um, and that's one big regret. Uh, but that was one major one that could have happened. And then Derby came up uh, at the worst possible time. I think when you're 14 odd points clear in the conference and you literally only need another six weeks or something like that and we, we thought we'd be there we were in such good form and to get this club into the football league was a dream beyond you know 10 years previous uh, and so it was a big big decision and the chairman here Ben Robinson made it played a huge part he actually said when we sat down he said he says you know you've got to go really <laughs> You know, and he said it's the time and everything. And I said, well, you know, we're so close to this. He said, no, and we were confident that it, it was still going to go up. So that was the main thing. Uh, but we were looking at all different ways. You know, I met Adam Pearson from Derby. I said, can you just wait a few weeks? Literally, just yeah. give it a few weeks, yeah. and that's all we needed here. And he said, listen, he said we're in trouble. He said, if you're going to come in, we need it now. Uh, and then it all went from there. It's all it's, as well as having close ties to Derby and to Nottingham Forest. Uh, from, from your personal and family history, it's also a leap from the conference to the championship, yep. which in, unless you get your team promoted three times is going to be, you know, that's the only way to make that leap. That There must be for all managers, and you still see it quite often, a, a League Two manager might get a job in the championship having done a fantastic job down at that level. And you do understand exactly how, just ambition-wise, you almost have to take that yep. to test yourself. But it can be... It, also, the results show that it can be very difficult as well. It certainly can be, uh, because everything that you've got at your club and the reason why you've been success, you haven't got at the club you're going to, because uh, they're struggling for reasons. There's not many times you'll get to take over a club that's doing really well, you know, towards the top of the league or whatever. You know, there's a reason why they're looking for a new manager because they've got problems and they're struggling in the league. Uh, so it's a it's a completely different scenario because successful managers will get appointed. You know, uh, and it's a, a different feel immediately as soon as you walk in the place. You leave here where we were winning games. We won, I don't know, seven, eight, nine on the spin at that stage. And you go to a team that hasn't won in it for a while. Uh, and it hits you as well. Mm. It certainly hits you. And it's a, it is a different experience. What state were Derby in as a club? You, you say they were, 
you know, the, the chief exec even said, we need you in now because we're in a tough situation. You know, what did that look like once you were in? Uh, probably worse once we got in there. Uh, they had 39 senior pros, uh, which was a lot. Uh, that was not including the youngsters. So straight away, logistically, trying to get training sessions for 39. We used to have practice matches. So we'd play AVB uh, and then C would do a little bit of work and then we'd change them around or whatever because you've got 33 to, to train or something like that. So that was a, that was a problem. Uh, it was just purely about surviving that first season and then moving on from there. What we didn't really bank on was the goalpost changing as much as they did in the first few months. Because you try and do, uh, you ask your, your, your questions and, you know, um, you know what have we, if we've managed to stay up, what have we got in the summer to spend, you know. And uh, and basically we were told in, before we went in that we'd got anything that we raised from player sales uh, and £2 million on top, which was doable. Yeah. And then I think about six, seven weeks later, we were told that that had changed and we didn't have the £2 million, we just had everything we raised. And then before the end of that season, bearing in mind we'd only gone in in the January, we were told that uh, you didn't have everything we raised, that would be less that less £2 million. So within the space of three or four months, the, uh, the landscape had changed significantly. And that undermines the work that you're ready to do and, and wanting to do to take the club forward? Straight away. And we're just saying for any manager going in, it's, it's, it's difficult, especially a, a youngish one, um, to deal with that. And you try and get as much information before you go in. But when it changes like that, and then you've got a decision to make, do you leave? Uh, or do you think, well, we'll crack on and see how it goes? But, you know, and then four, four years later, uh, we've reduced the wage bill by 60% and we've left them with a team that got in the top six. Uh, it was hard going. What's it like when you've got such a swollen squad like that? I think fans often think, well, it's good to have plenty of players in the building. You've explained why even on in, in terms of training, it can really undermine the work that you do because you've just got too many bodies. But in terms of actually trying to ship them out of the club, I guess other clubs know that now they know that you're just trying to get rid of yep. deadwood so trying to get any sort of value or actually trying to find a, a a viable option can be can take up i imagine quite a lot of your time as well it can and you imagine you know if you get rid of six players every transfer window you know you can that's only 12 a year so if you're trying to get rid of 30 odd player it takes you three years and then also a lot of them are on inflated contracts so nobody's going to take them certainly not for fees uh, so you've got to then come to settlements with them which take any money that you have got for new players you're settling up old players because that's the best business to do and Adam Pearson was was very very good at that uh, very good at doing deals and getting people out uh, but you have to go to owners and it's very difficult to uh, to convince them sometimes when you say well this player he's got two years left on his contract and he might be owed a million 1.2 million and you say to them well you've got to give him half a million to go I'm not giving him half a million. I say, well, if he stays here, then he's going to cost you 1.2 over the next two years. So it, it, economic sense, but it's difficult when they've just brought them in. Say, well, they're not going to do anything for you in the next couple of years. Uh, and, and, and that was what we spent the first certainly a couple of years doing, uh, sorting it out like that and still trying to survive at the same time still because it's Derby County, they're getting 25,000 people. They still want to see a competitive team on the pitch, uh, certainly against the local rivals when we're playing Forest. Um, you know they want to feel as though we're making progress they want the academy sorted out trying to explain to the owners that you don't get instant returns from an academy it takes a few years you know you need to get them in at the bottom work with them and then in four or five years you'll start getting players through and that's exactly what happened with Mason Bennett Will Hughes and Jeff Hendrick you're still the the longest serving derby manager since Jim Smith left 
I think he left in 2001, so pretty much over the last two decades. What were, under clearly quite difficult circumstances, what were the highlights of, of your time as manager of Derby? I think sorting things out to the degree and leaving it uh, in a far, far better state, the club, uh, than it was when we went in. And I think getting the academy right is, is crucial to any club. Uh, and we brought in uh, John Perkins uh, and Darren Wassell to do it and Darren Wassell sort of took it on uh, and he's still there now uh, and you see you see the fruits of that with the youngsters that Derby have in their team now they have four or five youngsters in the first team uh, and it's it's by far the best way of, of producing your own of producing players you know it's financially the most sensible you can do it on you if you get the value of them playing in the first team you can sell them on um, and I, th I think that has to be the bedrock that the club's built on, you know, the academy. And then you, know, you can bring Wayne Rooney and people like him, which are brilliant, um, and, you know, and the, their quality and, and what they attract will be on a different level. But do not neglect your academy. Uh, so I think that's that was the biggest thing that uh, things were put in place. And of course, Will Hughes and Jeff Hendrick went on and are regulars in the Premier League now. Um, uh, I, I think sorting that out was as, as good as anything uh, and sorting the squad out I don't think there was anybody left really uh, after four years uh, it's strange because when we went in as well everybody was saying to us oh you've got to be careful with it. and they kept warning us about one player more than anybody and it was Robbie Savage <laughs> before we went in and I'd never met Robbie Savage in my life before all I'd seen is on TV and I'd seen him running around you know like a headless chicken at times or whatever uh, and he'd been uh, sort of I think almost exiled from the club and sent away and we got him back in and he was the one player that just genuinely surprised us from what your outside appearance all he wanted to do was play football and train that's it yeah and forget about you know all the stuff the rubbish he talks these days at times <laughs> but seriously he just wanted to play football and he was a better player than people gave him credit for and he ended up being skipper uh, and it was it was sorting out things like that well he was too good to be on the sidelines yeah. Derby didn't have that many good players do you feel that now, with how many years, five, four, yeah, five or six years removed from leaving Derby, that the the feeling towards you and, and the memories of the fans have started to, to come back round towards recognising the good work that you did. I mean, you've talked about sorting everything out. You also signed a lot of players who became mainstays of Derby's team over the last five years. And I think their player of the decade was Craig Bryson someone that you signed as well yeah I think there's more of an understanding now uh, of things because when you when you're dealing with the situation we were we can't actually come out and say listen this is what the owners want to do and the owners want to cut the wage bill by 50 60 percent over four years so you can't come out and explain to supporters that but now with hindsight a lot of them are realizing and also a lot of them are realizing the good players that were signed and the value that we got for those players Craig Bryson was what four hundred and fifty thousand pound or something like that and in these days when they're spending 10 million on players and things uh, he was good value even Richard Keogh has had problems you know recently and end up uh, with unfortunate circumstances played a lot of games for the club you know for 1.4 million or something I remember this the abuse and stick we got when we signed Jake Buxton because uh, we took him from Burton when we first went and uh, we got accused of lowering standards and all sorts he ended up skipper of the club so close to taking him into the Premier League and being a player of the year uh, so that's think that's where it comes around the understanding uh, and people are a bit more accepting There's also, just if you look at your Wikipedia page and the section about Derby one thing that stands out is m many more reports of um, of 
sort of fines for touchline outbursts and disputes than than you would expect now seeing you uh quite measured generally on the touchline as a manager was was that down to i mean a was there more of that when you were at derby and if so was that down to emotional ties or or just age or what was it i, I was surprised to read it because i see you now and i think I mean, you don't read anything. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I remember getting one or two, certainly. Never had a touchline. I think I had a touchline ban once, maybe for one game uh, and a fine, uh, where I won't go into details, but the referee didn't tell the truth. Uh, that was one of them. Uh, but I don't think it's probably frustration as much as anything uh, with, with everything, the whole situation. Uh, but no, as you get older, you get a little bit calmer anyway, and you're a little bit more mellow. So, and also you realise it's futile. There's yeah. no point in uh, in arguing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a an excellent relationship with about 95% of the officials that we deal with. You left uh, Derby after losing. No, I didn't leave. I got sacked. You were sacked by Derby after losing to Nottingham Forest. Uh, I did note, looking at your managerial career stats, that you've won more matches against Forest than any other team. In the in English football, which is an interesting stat. You've also touched on Leeds earlier. I think you've played ten games against Leeds, won seven, lost three, which is another real record that stands out. It's funny how those things happen. Um, you you moved to Sheffield United uh, only a few months after uh, being sacked by Derby. How did that move come about? I think it was weeks actually. I think it was a few weeks, and uh, I know they were struggling in League One, and uh, just had a call uh, from somebody. And David Weir was still in charge at the time. And I said, well, I won't be talking to anybody until that situation is sorted out. If you've still got a manager, because I felt there was an element uh, that the manager was appointed at Derby before we'd been sacked. Uh, and, I, you know, we meant to have this League Managers Association. It's not a union. I think that's one of the reasons it's called an association. And uh, I don't believe in doing that to anybody in the same association. Um, and going around chasing other people's jobs behind the backs. So I didn't want to do that, so uh, I was assured that it had been done and then met with them, and it was literally only, I think, two or three weeks after we left Derby or something like that. You didn't feel like you needed a, a bit of a break? You no. just were, like, straight yeah, back no, in? Yeah, no, it didn't feel tired. You know, I know there's times, certainly the last 20-odd years, when you think, yeah, I could just do with a, you know, a month or two. But it didn't feel like that, because having worked for four and a half years at Derby, changing everything, getting everything we thought in as good a position as we'd been in, we just wanted to take it on. And the, the couple of results we'd had uh, that week, I think we lost at Leicester or something like that in the Cup, and then we lost at Forest by the odd goal. The bigger picture was more than that. We, were, you know, we, we had a good team, and that was proved by what they went on and did. Uh, and it was mainly the change of sort of people, personnel at Derby. So going back, you know, they bought a new chief exec in who had no understanding of what had gone on in the last four years and how good and how close we were to having a successful team there. So it was down to that more than anything. Uh, but then Sheffield United came up, went down to meet them. And Sheffield United is one of those, we used to call it a proper football club, like Derby. And, you know, every time you go there and to see them back in the Premier League now is, is wonderful because it is a proper football club. You know, the supporters, the stadium, everything about it. Uh, so it didn't need too much persuading from that point of view. What are your best memories from your time at Sheffield United that the cup runs again? Oh, brilliant. Stand out Wembley semi-final against yep. Hull and, oh. and, and two legs against Spurs in a League Cup semi-final as well. Yeah, well, when we went in, it was September, October, whenever it was, I'm not sure, October, uh, they were in the bottom few. And we actually had a worse run uh, because we ended up bottom of the league on, I think, the 1st of February that season. 
Um, we were struggling to turn things around and it was the cup that got us going. And I just remember the owners at the time, even when we first from we went in and then they kept saying for that two or three month period, all they were interested, you can keep us out of League Two, can't you? That was it. Yeah. That was the priority. You can keep us out of League Two. And they kept saying that. I said, yeah, I think we can. I think we can, despite going bottom. Uh, and then we had a, an extra time win at Fulham in the FA Cup. And... Um, and everything went on from there, uh, but the FA Cup one was exceptional. For, you know, for a League One side again to get to a semi-final was exceptional, and we were so close at Wembley, so close when we played Hull. We were ahead at half-time. We gave a sloppy corner away just before, uh, just after the break, and I think somebody miskicked one or something, and they ended up getting an equaliser, and it went on from there. But we were we were so close to taking them that day. And what about that uh, that double-legged game against Spurs? I mean, that was utter carnage, wasn't it? <laughs> and also the 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 real birth of Che Adams as a yep. senior goal scorer and now what a career he's he's having although still such a young player yep gone on to the Premier League wonderful we uh, we got him from Ilkeston Town I think I had him recommended I think we paid about 110 or something like 120,000 for him and when you see him going for what 15 million now <laughs> I wish we'd have put a cut in, or we should have put <laughs> yeah. a percentage in a finder's fee. Uh, but yeah, we, we went down to Spurs and played really well and gave a soft penalty away. And we could have come away with a draw that night and we lost 1 0. And so you're in the tie. Uh, and then Mr. Ericsson put one of his uh, free kicks in, as he did, uh, which nobody in the world would save. <laughs> and you find yourself 2 0 down. But we talked to the players before, and Gary Crosby especially, and said, listen, if the worst happens and we do go uh, a goal down, just don't go and you know just stay in the game stay in the game if you get one back everything changes and of course we nick one back in the second half and in a few minutes we got another one all of a sudden it's game on Bramall Lane feels like the roof's coming off uh, and we had a great chance to to win it and um, towards the end and uh, little lad Lewis Reed, who was only 17 or 18 at the time was playing and uh, he just put one over the bar went down the other end and Ericsson puts another one in and breaks our hearts but you know to to play I think teams in the Premier League in the two semi-finals and to get within a goal mm. with them uh, of them and uh, to be so close never mind just reaching the semi-final but so close to I think yeah. making that final as well What do you think was the reason that the club never reached the top of League One uh, and won promotion while you are there? Selling Harry Maguire was one major reason which happened uh, <laughs> two weeks before the season uh, the second season we still made the playoffs uh, but the club made the decision to sell him uh, we couldn't really replace him, uh, and it was you lose a, a player of that quality, uh, and you're struggling from then on. And we had problems getting agreement, I think, from the owners about budgets and things like that. We kept asking for a budget. What have we got for next season? What have we got? It wasn't forthcoming. And then Harry got sold, uh, and we didn't really replace him. So would that be a, a a major regret looking back at your time at Sheffield United? Such amazing memories in the yep. cups, but but not quite reaching not that. Yeah, first season amazing because to get from bottom of the league to seventh and uh, an FA Cup semi-final. Second one, I think in a lot of people's eyes, reaching the playoffs despite selling Harry and getting to another semi-final. I think we'd, I thought we'd done enough in the sort of 18 months or so to deserve another few months at the start of the next season to see how it went. Yeah, you know? I mean, to be bottom of the league in February and then what, 15, 16 months later to be... 15, 16 places higher and getting into the playoffs is yeah, not a bad improvement. <laughs> that's it. And not really spent millions. Mm. You know, it wasn't a case of, of that. Uh, and once again, we were trying to buy players like Che Adams to improve them and you know provide value for the club. 
Um, so we so we'd done that, and Jamie Murphy was another one yeah. uh, who wasn't in actually in the eighteen. He wasn't in the squad when we first arrived. Had a pretty big squad as well, and, uh, and then we got him involved. He got on because of an injury, uh, and was absolutely brilliant for us, and, uh, and went on to make the club a few million when they sold him. And, and looking forward to managing him again as he's just signed here on loan. Absolutely delighted to uh, be back working with him. Uh, he's one of the, he's one of those players that you keep in touch, and he's another one that just wants to play football. Mm. He enjoys playing football. And uh, when we had an opportunity, we thought you know we, we didn't think we would, but when we got an opportunity, it was too good to turn down. Last thing on Sheffield United, you talked about trying to gain value for the club through the players that you developed. Chris Basham, decent value mm. for the club. Free transfer. Brought him in. He was a midfielder then, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. I didn't see an awful lot of him, uh, but the lads, Gary Crosby and Simon, my brother who sort of do the recruiting side, kept going to watch Blackpool and saying, I think they were struggling at the time, and saying, listen, there's this lad at Blackpool and he keeps playing week in, week out. He's played right back, centre-half, centre midfield or whatever. Uh, and they were saying how absolutely genuine he is and wholehearted. Uh, and we managed to get him in on a free transfer and he's another one. Brilliant to see him playing in the Premier League now. Back at Burton now, your second spell, you joined them, not dissimilarly to how you left them at the top of the conference with a decent lead at the top of League One, not quite as big, uh, and, and got over the line into the championship. How, what was it like coming back to the club, having having had quite a long tenure where you'd really made your mark on the club as they'd grown to the cusp of the EFL, coming back with three managers having taken charge since you'd been away and having achieved some success as well. What did it feel like for you coming back to the fold? Well, it was the old adage, never go back. That was the first thought. And then uh, when Jimmy was leaving, the chairman sort of uh, gave me a ring and said, can I come and see you? And then it, the sort of you start ticking it, you know, turn it over in your mind and all the pros and the cons and everything. Um, I think, obviously, he was a major factor that he was still here, the chairman. We were apprehensive because they were top of the league. If you take away, if you take over sides top of these, only can only go one way. Well, you just said to me earlier that normally you take over uh, a team down the bottom. You do, yeah, you do, <laughs> you and that win. presents <laughs> problems. No, so you know, and the position they're in, and also uh, the fact that we had to sell our leading scorer in, in the January transfer window. So there's not many teams, uh, I think, you know, trying to get promotion and, and ambitious as this club is, uh, has to sell the leading scorer, and we we had to do that. So. Uh, we still managed to just get over the line, but a lot of soul searching. We've been out of work for a few months. Uh, that was the first proper rest, probably in uh, in 15 years. Uh, and it, I wasn't sort of fed up or bored or anything. I still got plenty going on, and uh, so it was a, a big, big decision. Uh, but it was a, an emotional one, uh, as was Derby. Um, and we just thought, well, let's go back and see what happens. And the, I think the chance of being so close to taking the club into the Football League all those years ago and, and then thinking, hold on a minute, we've got a chance of getting in the Championship. Mm. That's just absolutely ridiculous for this, honestly. Absurd, <laughs> absolutely absurd for this club. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, well, it's the best story in the EFL, I think, of this millennium, to yeah. be quite frank yeah. with you. Because people uh, still don't understand the real you know, story of the club in terms of it's not knowing you know, external investment. The ground was paid for because of the Manchester United game and other, you know, nobody's been putting millions in, hundreds of thousands, anything, you know. The chairman has built it on pure, you know, good, solid financial and football sense. 
he's an accountant, which helps, isn't he? Or a financial, finance, he's a financial, financial advisor. advisor. Yeah, <laughs> that helps, you know. And relegation hit us very hard a couple of years ago when we dropped out of the championship, as it does every club. And, and you've got to change things and try and recoup things accordingly. But uh, he's always he's always run it the same in 25 years he's been here. He was he was a major factor. Yeah, he. we sat here with him. George and I interviewed him for a, a BBC Radio 5 Live piece about the governance of football clubs and, and really came to talk to him to hear about what you'd call best practice really uh, for obvious reasons and I mean he's such a uh, modest guy that he doesn't seem to think he's done anything amazing and when we tried to get the, the key information out of him how have you done it how have you maintained this kept it sustainable while also achieving sporting success he basically said well I tell my manager the budget at the start of the season and they work within that budget and they don't go over it because I don't let them go over it yep he made it sound very easy and we sort of thought I mean there must be more to it than that not an awful lot it is seriously budget budget uh, conversations we have and discussions go about 15 minutes at the start of the season and it was the same when we went into the championship this is what we're going to get these are the crowds we think we're going to get uh, I need this to run the club that's what's left that's yours if we get a cup run then obviously that gives a little bit something else to play with. We don't bank on a cup run. We don't put one any revenue at all from cup games into the budget. So anything like that is a bonus, which is always sensible as well. And then if you do get you know a couple of rounds on, it enables you to improve and maybe bring a player or two in. Uh, and that's it. It's very simple. And then you say you can do what you want with that. Is there anyone you talked about the club benefiting from that Man United Cup game? What about the Carabao Cup run? which involved that two-legged semi-final against Man City. Uh, are there any players that you can say, yeah, I knew from budgetary reasons we didn't have the money for that and then we got the money from the cup run and that became that player? Or does that not exist to the same extent? Not to the same extent, no. Uh, you know, we were... I don't think last season we were going up or going down. Yeah. Uh, the, the cup run was uh, incredible, even uh, suffering the the defeat that we did at uh, the hands of Manchester City. Which, when I see them putting six past Premier League teams away from home or whatever at times, or winning six in an FA Cup final, then uh, I think, well done, they're entitled to beat us yeah. nine 0 Really, yeah, you know, yeah. not just a League One club, such a small League One club. Uh, so that was never a, a great issue, and how we we recovered from that in that in the rest of the season we played some great stuff and uh, it was a credit to the players as well uh, but no it didn't really equate to anything like that it's more about recouping stuff after the relegation and putting us more on a solid footing again Where does survival in the first season in the championship rank amongst your managerial achievements? Probably uh, very very close at the top if not yeah very close to it if not the top uh, Staying surviving that first year with Derby as well because there's a lot of people uh who we, we still know and you know when we'd stayed up that first year they said you know when you came in we all said there was a whiff of relegation about the place and there is some some football clubs and the, a lot of people around the place said there was more than a, a sniff a whiff of relegation and to stay up uh, I think was a great achievement that first season you know inheriting a team so low on confidence and and getting over the line uh, but I think staying in the championship because of the size of this club uh, and the, the teams we were up against uh, has to be right up there, you know. If the, financially, it was just the biggest mismatch uh, yeah. you could ever you could ever imagine, you know. Um, did you have a year? Did you play Newcastle? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, and sort of you know Newcastle squad. I, th I think this one year, the year we played them, I think they were saying in the boardroom they had sort of fifty million worth on the bench or something like. 
like that. And we lost by the odd goal to them twice, mm. actually. Uh, and we were very unlucky down here uh, when Rafa Benitez was obviously in charge. Uh, but, you know, seeing teams like Newcastle United come in here, yeah. absolute dream for us all and our supporters. If you're pushing for League One promotion again this year, I mean, given what you've just told me about the championship and, and, and what it is to be Burton in the championship... Yeah. It sounds to me like you know it's an easier life just uh, just uh, just missing out. Oh no, we'd do it again. We'd love it again, honestly. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. Eighteen months ago, when we got relegated, we were safe with four minutes to go of the season. Uh, we were playing at Preston. We were one-one. Uh, Bolton were losing at home to Forest, and they needed to score two goals in four minutes, and they did. And uh, absolute heartbreaking. And I think if we had managed to survive that, despite everything that had gone against us, I think we'd have gone on and survived again. Mm. Um, you know, we'd, we'd lost our main goal scorer, Jackson Irving, uh, sold him to Hull. Uh, and then we replaced him with Liam Boyce. And then he got injured a week before the season started. And we don't have the finance to, to replace him. Uh, so it was a major blow. And to get within four minutes, I wish we'd have gone down with a week or two, seriously, yeah. you know, a game or yeah. two, it would have been easier to take. Uh, that was a, a crushing blow for us. Second season now in League One. You spoke on that BBC Radio Derby show that I listened to about starting your first season back in League One, suffering from a bit of a relegation hangover. And I did wonder, is there any way to avoid that? Because it got me thinking of all the other teams I can think of across all divisions, whether it's Premier League dropping to the champ or, or even League One to League Two. You very, very rarely see a team hit the ground running and start is that almost just a given like what can you do to try and stop that I think it depends on the circumstances and we thought ours were particularly cruel with four minutes to go so that has an effect straight away on everybody so you don't get over it I think the teams that almost know they're going down sort of March April time I think start rebuilding from that point so they've got a better chance then of being ready for August uh, and also a turnover of players is important we couldn't turn over too many players but if you get a fresh nucleus of players who are unaffected by the relegation the season before you've got a better chance and I think that happens with quite a few now when they drop out the sort of Premier League quite a few of the big boys will go you know and be transferred and want to stay at the highest level uh, so you have that natural sort of turnover of players I don't think most teams can do that we certainly couldn't so players came in and I know whatever the first day of pre-season training I didn't want to come back you know we still devastated and I know a lot of the players felt like that and it took us a few months to get going and it once again it was the cup run I think uh, that got us going just before Christmas and around November, December we started playing and I thought for the rest of the season and since that point uh, we've been on the up. We're recording this towards the end of January, a, a b fairly bizarre League One division this season for a few different reasons. Uh, your side, Burton, have been easing up the table in the last few weeks and months. Where do you think you're at? What are the objectives from here on out? Try, try and get in the top six. Uh, we've thrown away so many points in the first half of the season, and I know probably every manager and every team <laughs> can say that, but we particularly can. We had one week, we were up at Portsmouth 2-0, we had somebody sent off 2-1 up with literally seconds to go, 93rd, 94th minute conceded a penalty. So we've lost two points there. We went to Tranmere on the Saturday, 1-0 up as the stoppage time board went up and we lost 2-1. So those five points uh, would have put us last week top of the joint top of the league. Mm. So that's just within the space four or five days. Uh, so what we're saying to the players is don't throw those points away in the second half of the season we've got every chance uh, some big boys in there the Portsmouth yeah. the Sunderland we're in amongst them uh, you know in the Ipswiches uh, but we're we're delighted with the three players we brought in in January and we're in with a shout 
certainly are. Um, given that, just a, a last bit, I guess, an overview of Burton since you joined the club in 1998. We've spoken about how I think and, and you clearly agree that it is probably the best development of any football club uh, over the last 20, 25 years or so. Uh, but also because you've been here for so much of it and your relationship with the chairman, the, the way that the club has developed, you must have a sense that you have helped build a football club almost. You know, the new stadium, the community work, which the club is so yep. well known for in the FL circles for, for, for being one of the most impactful mm. in its community. I mean, it must make you quite proud extremely and more so off the pitch than on the pitch sometimes you know the, the public face of the club is on the pitch and that's what they see on a Saturday uh, the team that you put out there and you want that to be honest and uh, you want it to, you know the supporters to be able to identify with the team that they, they see on the pitch and I think they can uh, but the other things off the pitch and especially the community we didn't really have anything at all like that 20 years ago and now they're sort of reaching people you know 7,000 people a week within the community who need help uh, so that's as satisfying as anything that the football club's done uh, and what, that's once again the chairman right from day one we're a community club we have to go out into the community and we do things like that but I think even that's built up beyond, beyond you know uh, what he envisaged uh, and it's, it's honestly brilliant to see the effect the club has had because of its growth on so many people in the area You must know by now having been a manager for for a decent amount of time have a fair idea of of what you perceive to be your strengths as a manager and what sort of manager I suppose you are people often get pigeonholed as master tactician or man manager motivator type uh, what do you think are your your best best bits I suppose as a manager what, where do you think you've really helped to to pull the club forward I often think that's left should be left for other people to say uh, what other people's strengths and weaknesses are um I would just hope that players would say that we're honest with them, I'm honest with them and hopefully that's why players like John Brayford, Jake Buxton and Jamie Murphy's come back to work with us again want to come back and work with us uh, because we're honest with them, we look after them. Uh, if they're rubbish we'll tell them they're rubbish, if they're good we'll tell them they're good, you know. Uh, I don't think there's anything worse when you're a footballer to get false praise from a manager when you know you haven't earned it. But on the other side of that is to, you know, to get a rollicking when you think, oh, then I've just done my job and done everything I could there. So I think, I, I don't know if there's one word, but just to be honest with the players and honest with the owners, honest with everybody that we work with with the football club. In terms of style of play, the, the way that you like your team to play, mm. at championship level, there was a, 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 a pragmatism that you've alluded to on BBC Derby, a way that, a style that you, you really had to play which might have been perceived as defensive because of the, the talent gap, I suppose, mm. and the resource gap that you spoke about. Is the Burton team we see on the pitch now in League One how you, you prefer your teams to play? A lot of short passing, not possession for mm. possession's sake, though, an, an attacking team. I think you've got fourth most shots in the league as well. Yep. A, a, a stylish team. Definitely, that's how we want to, and the players that we bring in uh, hopefully reflect that. Uh, yeah, the championship was, and one of our major mistakes in the second season was we. When you get down there, you're just so focused on the next game. Can you get a point? Can you get a point? Anything? You lose your identity a little bit. And we had it a bit more in the first season. Right from the first day of the season, we went to Forest and lost four three, and we attacked and we scored three goals away from home. And we missed a chance in the ninety third minute to get a point. And uh, we said to the players at the start of that season, you know, we're just going to go and enjoy it. You know, we're going to have a smile on our face, we're going to stick our chests out everywhere we go, and we're going to enjoy it. 
and then we lost a bit of that in the second season, I think. Um, and but we've got it, we've got it back a bit now. Uh, and I think players like Stephen Quinn, you know, in the centre of midfield, and Scott Fraser. Uh, one of the hardest things is we've probably got too many footballers for League One. Yeah, yeah, you know, because it's a it's a tough, brutal league at times. Set plays are a big part of any of any level. You saw that in Manchester United, Liverpool last week. For all Liverpool, whatever, whatever, you know, they won the game basically from a set play. Um, so that's a big part of the game, and we, we have to accept that. But I remember we're, Norwich we're last season in the Championship; they were so technical, and yep. all their midfield players were so technical, mm. and often smaller in stature, and they conceded loads of goals from set pieces. But you, you sort of you can't have both, I suppose. Sometimes that's it, and we're, we're just trying to strike the balance yeah. all the time. We want good players, and we want to play attacking football. Uh, and it's interesting when you say I think we're up there fourth most number of shots. Our conversion rate is nowhere near. You know the number of goals we should have scored. Uh, is nowhere near being good enough and that's something you're trying to improve on all the time as well. We are really interested in in football clubs uh, recruitment of players how different systems work and how they go about it and the success or otherwise of, of various teams uh, recruitment. Burton's holds up pretty well as you'll know over the last few years um, not not a club that signs players for the sake of signing players they, they looking at the record of pretty much all your signings the last few years they all play significant minutes for the club, which can't be said for everyone else. No. That, what is the system here? How does how does recruiting players get done? Uh, well, my brother's the head of recruitment. He started with us at Derby, uh, purely based on practicality. Not because my brother, that in the last 45 probably years, we've watched more games together uh, at all different levels. Mm. And when you've watched games from European Cup finals together down to Dr. Martin's reserves, you know, yeah. uh, which we have, you get a feel of all, all levels of football. So based on that we thought he'd be as good a person as any to start identifying the talent mm. and he's done that uh, for the last sort of 10 years Gary Crosby who's been assistant manager for 21 years as well he goes out on the road he doesn't come to the games uh, and he's excellent in that so those two um, and we have a part time scout Michael Forsyth the ex left back from Derby and, and everywhere so he works with us uh, and apart from that it's the staff the coaching staff myself and the coaching staff so it's very tight knit and um, conversations daily because we're all in the same office you know about players uh, and we just feel that works best we have a very good analyst here uh, but we'll try and if, we, if we're keen on a player we'll always try and see them you know we'll always go out individually different stages home away or whatever and if we all come back with a tick then we know you know four mm. or five ticks against the name then we know we're onto a good thing and it, it's, it rarely seems to be a player that a number of other teams in your division will be going for or the obvious yeah. signing from the league below there's a, there's a sort of not a left field nature about it but it, there's a creativeness to it it seems there I has mean, to be there is there is there something in the water in scotland or, or a mm. link there because you look at templeton fraser boyce edwards just from the yeah. last few years yeah there has to there has to be we have to do something different because we can't compete we can't sign players purely on attracting them for financial reasons or whatever uh, as well and we can't pay big fees uh, or any fees and the majority of the time we haven't paid a fee this season uh, so you have to be a little bit more creative and you have to try and outthink and look for different things in players i remember when we were signing craig bryson at uh, derby and after we'd got him in and anybody could have signed him for 450,000 I remember the owner one of the owners saying Derby why didn't somebody else sign him I said I don't know because mm. I don't know what they're looking for uh, we'd yeah. been I, I'd been up to see him and Gary had been up Simon had been up driven to Scotland and then I went up to see him and I'd have left after 20 minutes if I'd have been closer to home yeah. because it was a his yes straight away done yeah you could just Amazing. see uh, but I stayed and watched the game because you got a long drive home so you might, yeah. you might as well watch it do, do you feel pride at 
pride mixed with frustration at, at some of the players who you've had to sell over the years, the likes of Harness and Allen yeah. and, and Jackson Irvin, who you spoke yeah. about earlier? No, I think that's the reality. It always has been. And it's one thing that the chair made abundantly clear early on as well. If a player uh, has done well for the club and gets an opportunity to go to a higher level, they've always been sold here. That's always the history. Uh, John Brayford, who we sold to crew, Matt Duke went to Hull, you know, in the early days as well. Uh, if, if they have a, an opportunity to, to do that, the same with Marcus Harness, Jackson Irving, you know, we got for 250. It was another one. Anybody could have signed him for 250,000. We took the chance on him and we made money on him. He kept his help, keep us in the championship. So it's a good signing. Uh, but ultimately, it's like you say with managers, if they're ambitious, they want to move on. And it's financial, it's size of the club, all those sorts of things. We kind of knew this already, but certainly from what we've spoken about so far, it, it all s sort of reflects a, a level-headed approach to your management, but also the running of, of, of the club and the way that the club operates. It's not something that you tend to... It, it's not a given amongst football clubs in the EFL. Do, do you ever cast your eye over the various chaoses and, and teams you come up against and think, you know, it's not that hard to just be quite level-headed why do you think it is it is that club, hard in why football. does this club stand out i don't because it because it is hard to do in football because there's, there's pressure from uh, outside from sports everything you've got to sign players you've got to do this and everybody thinks the answer to your problems on the pitch just sign more players well, it doesn't matter if they're not very good players or they're not the right players it's not the answer uh, and we've never done that and we've probably missed out on a few players over the years because of that approach which we'd rather do that than waste money and even when you if you've got it or you haven't got it, it doesn't matter don't waste it because it's it's not technically it's not your money. I know owners put money in and everything, but the supporters playing paying every week to come in and watch you. And you have a responsibility to look after their money. And you have a responsibility to look after the owner's money or whatever it is. Uh, and we've always taken that very seriously. Last question: uh, plenty of, of of years left in your managerial career. Do you have an idea of of what it is that you're really hopeful to achieve between now and and, and the end of your time as a manager? Uh, I'd like another crack at somewhere uh, in the championship or whatever uh, with a club with a, a potential of going on and doing something that would certainly be. I'd love the opportunity to try and get this club back into the championship. That's the first priority. And then on the back of that, if something happens, that would be great. And the chairman understands that. He comes out publicly and always says, you know, he'd never stand in our way. He didn't the first time and he wouldn't this time around. So if there was a right opportunity came up, um, then we'd certainly in the future still got plenty of ambition. And plenty of hopes left in football and don't feel old too old and tired yet feel that feel it sometimes but not not too old and tired yet uh so love another crack at it plenty of people are around the club you've spoken about how supportive they are would would wonder to themselves why why you haven't maybe had more offers from from ambitious clubs higher up is that something that's frustrated you yeah without doubt and when jobs do come up and you make calls and you don't even get an interview for them then uh yeah, it, it certainly is frustrating. Uh, I don't know what... Once again, I don't know how other clubs think or how their recruitment process works or what they're looking for in managers, but sometimes they'll appoint managers with no experience at all in certain situations, and that puzzles me. Um, so all we can do is keep doing, keep putting a team on the pitch that plays, we think, good football, keep trying to be successful in you know, the circumstance and the constraints here, uh, and hopefully some might, somebody might notice it. I think there's this perception sometimes, well, oh, you're settled and you're happy and all that sort of thing. And I've never ever said that, you know. Uh, we do everything we can for this club now. Uh, but if something else comes up, we'll do it. Well, thank you so much for, for talking me through 
an amazing I was going to say life in football but there's so much we haven't heard from mm. from prior to your management days but uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, and thank you very much Nigel thanks Ali <laughs>